Welcome to EM Guidewire, your guide to emergency medicine, brought to you by the residents and faculty from Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Core Concepts of Emergency Medicine. Welcome to this week's Core Concepts, brought to you by the EM Guidewire team from Carolina's Medical Center EM Group. Today, we have myself, Nikki Richardson. Hi, I'm Russell Tregonis. And I'm Sean Fox. This week's installment is sponsored by It's Just a Virus. It's Just a Virus, the best phrase to utter if you want to guarantee that a patient will distrust you, feel you've dismissed them, and then return again tomorrow. It's Just a Virus. Now let's get on with the show. This week, we will be discussing intubation preparation. All right, guys. Today, we're going to be talking intubation, or maybe more specifically, pre-intubation. That's right, the calm before the storm. Yes. Well, I would like to avoid the storm. I don't know that I would use the word calm to describe myself before I intubate somebody. My endorphins are usually running a little high. I get a little sweaty even. But hopefully, my experience and my training helps me mitigate my own flight response so I'm able to stand at the patient's bedside and help them in their time of need. I know what I do in preparation is going to help set me up for success. So the way I'm going to do that is by going through two specific procedures. The first procedure is pre-oxygenation. The second procedure is provider preparation. With pre-oxygenation, I'm going to follow the rules of 15. And with provider preparation, I'm going to remember the rule of twos. Okay, let's start with pre-oxygenation. Our goal here is to wash out all of the normal nitrogen that floats in our lungs and replace it with the good stuff, 100% O2. The more oxygen we can get sitting in our lungs, the better reserve the patient will have and the longer we will have until he desaturates. This has been proven in multiple previous studies and again confirmed with a recent meta-analysis by Sylvia et al. in Annals of Emergency Medicine. Getting oxygen on these patients, even if they're apneic, will increase peri-intubation oxygen saturations, decrease the rates of hypoxemia, and actually increase first-pass success rate. Okay, so pre-oxygenation is good. I got it. Now, how are we going to maximize our patient's pre-oxygenation? Now, this is where the rule of 15 will come into play. First, we're going to slap two different oxygen devices on this patient. Nasal cannula at, you guess it, 15 liters per minute, as well as a non-rebreather mask at 15 liters per minute. While we're doing this, we can also raise up the head of the bed to 15 degrees, letting that tongue roll forward and decrease airway obstruction. All of these let us pump O2 into that patient, filling up the tank. I love this because this is really easy for me to remember. I just need to remember 15. 15 liters nasal cannula, 15 liters non-rebreather, head of bed, 15 degrees. Got it. But what if that doesn't work? Well, we have another tool in our box, and that would be pressure. We can use our bag valve mask and a peep valve. We can give this patient a few breaths with the peep valve in place to help open those airways and get the last bit of oxygen deep into those alveoli. Got it. The patient is now prepped and pre-oxygenated. Now we have to focus on getting ourselves prepped. For provider preparation, we move on from the rule of 15s to the rule of 2s. Lots of rules. I know. So what does this rule of twos entail? First, two Yankauer suctions at the max. One is going to be tucked under the mattress on the right, assuming that you're right-handed, and another is going to be within arm's reach. You want to have the first one at your right hand so that as soon as you insert your blade, you can immediately grab the suction you need to clear out blood, secretions, anything else that might be in the way to try and optimize your view. The next is going to be two laryngoscopes. 
Now, I have the great fortune of having lots of toys in my department, and amongst those toys are videoscopic laryngoscopes, and these are my first option, I'll be honest. Devices like the GlideScope or Stores I find are very useful. Obviously, they require familiarity and come with their own pros and cons, but I do advocate for everyone knowing how to use them because they do help with first-pass success rates. Without question, however, a known downside of using the videoscopic approach is that blood or secretions can easily obscure your camera and now you're gonna be flying blind. So it's important to have a second laryngoscope at the ready. I like to have a traditional DL blade at the ready just in case my initial videoscopic approach is thwarted and then I'm able to quickly transition over and use my trusty dusty DL blade as a backup. Next, you want to get two ET tubes as well as two stylets prepared. Now, there are a bunch of ways to pick your initial ET tube size, but remember, no matter which size you decide to go with, always grab half a size lower in case you run into any obstructions or narrowing. That may be an 8.0 with a 7.5 backup for adult males, while considering a 7.5 and 7.0 for a smaller female patient. With those tubes, make sure you also have a total of two stylets. Here at our institution, we have a rigid hockey-type stylet that normally pairs well with our video laryngoscopes, while a flexible stylet gives you more mm, flexibility, I guess. Really, what stylet you choose comes down to your own personal preference and personal comfort. The important take-home points in this step is to make sure that you always have two. Finally, you want to have two backup plans. Let's say the worst-case scenario happens and your airway goes downhill. Now you need to have two backup plans that you can fall to. Our classic go-to backup here would be a bougie as it can supplement your initial airway attempt and then an LMA or another superglottic device to use as your backup. Now notice we didn't say anything about a scalpel. While you always need to be ready to pursue a possible surgical airway, that shouldn't be your first or even your second backup. There will be some cases that you know a crike is necessary, but for everyone else, pursue a non-surgical course first. Even if you find yourself moving in the surgical direction, getting something superglottic can at least give you some support while you address the front of the neck. Excellent. So now let's run that list from top to bottom, starting with the rule of 15s. As soon as you make that decision to take that airway, get a 15-liter non-rebreather with 15-liter nasal cannula on the patient immediately. Every minute those are on gets more oxygen into the lungs and gives you a bigger buffer when it comes to taking the airway. Even when you're intubating, you can also leave on your nasal cannula for more apneic oxygenation. Next, raise the bed to 15 degrees to get the tongue out of your airway. Finally, with all these interventions in place, don't forget to check your pulse ox. Now, if your patient is remaining hypoxic or is even apneic, make sure you can grab a bag valve mask with a peep valve to get a little bit of extra positive pressure and more oxygen in those lungs. Once the oxygen is loaded up, make sure you have all your supplies and remember your rules of two. Two yank hour suctions running on max with one under the bed at your dominant hand. The next would be having two endotracheal tubes loaded with two stylets. Obviously, you can pick your favorite stylet, whether it's flexible or rigid, but have that on your primary tube and be ready to go and have your secondary tube loaded and ready within arm's reach. Finally, have two backups ready in addition to the surgical option. Having a bougie to supplement your laryngoscope as well as a superglottic device will improve your chances. You know what team? Often you'll hear people talk about a difficult airway, but that presupposes that there is an easy airway and I don't think we should treat it that way. I think we should treat all airways as if they're going to be difficult. Prepare as such. And then, after you've successfully placed that endotracheal tube, confirmed its placement with chest x-ray, capnography, then you can say, that was an easy airway. So by staying prepared, 
and using the rule of 15s and the rule of twos, we can maximize the number of times that we say, that was an easy airway. All right, great discussion team. Now let's review these concepts once more. Starting with pre-oxygenating the patient with the rule of 15s, that's 15 liters nasal cannula, 15 liter non-rebreather, and head of the bed at 15 degrees. Next, prep yourself with the rules of two. Two suctions with one under the bed at your dominant hand, two blades, a video and at least one direct option, two ET tubes, your primary, and one a half size smaller with two stylets, two backups like a bougie and an LMA in addition to your surgical tools. Finally, remember no airway is an easy airway. Prep with the rule of 15s and the rule of twos every single time to give both you and your patient the best chance for success. Thanks again for the discussion team. From the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studios here in Charlotte, North Carolina, this is EM Guidewire. <laughs>